Hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, radio and TV host, the co-host of the Vote Her podcast. I love dogs and I love that I could ask Senator Jen questions about everything in this podcast. And I am Senator Jen Jordan, officially because we're in session and I am so happy to be here to talk to Mara. Same here. Everybody has questions, Jen. I'll get right to it. Georgia is in the national spotlight. I feel like constantly it is never ending. And now there are a lot of these bills that suggest voter suppression. Yeah, it's been fascinating. I think there are maybe a hundred that have been filed since the legislative session started the second week of January. And they deal with some crazy stuff. And usually most of them you can kind of trace back to one of those conspiracy theories that that Trump was thrown out there and, and some of the Republicans in the state were. So it's been wild. It is interesting. I was calling it like it's a lot. I feel like a lot of these elected leaders are catering to their lame duck lo- de la range. Remember that dish? The 70s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always have to incorporate a food joke in there. Yeah, that's about like Watergate salad. Yeah. So, that's right. That's yeah, right. It's about the same. same now, vintage. Uh, I think it's it's definitely a gamble. And we're going to talk to B. Wynn in a little while, Representative B. Wynn, about this. And she certainly has a lot more feedback and insight into this. But the, my biggest takeaway, besides, you know, the exclusion and the racism and the suppression, is that this hurts Republican voters. That's just it. Like when you're talking about a law that is generally applicable, it applies to everybody. It doesn't matter if you've got a D or an R or an I or if you're just a voter, right? It applies to everybody. So if you make voting harder, then it necessarily means that you're going to make it harder for your voters as well. Right. So that's interesting. And and, and what they're talking about is cutting down hours on Sunday uh, voting and weekend voting and then use getting your driver's license photocopy for absentee voting. There's all these like crazy things. The drop boxes have to be inside. Yeah, which is like they have to be inside at the advanced voting locations and you can only access them during voting hours, which is like nine to five. That's the whole point of a drop box, right? That you can access it. You get off work at seven, you're driving by, you can just drop it, right? I mean... Because look, if you can go into an advanced voting location, you can probably vote in person. I, I, I don't understand it. It's bizarre, especially since this was a pandemic in this election. So it was extraordinary circumstances. And hopefully by 2022, we're not going to be feeling the same heat. Well, in terms of the drop boxes, too, that made me crazy is that they kept talking about security and all this stuff. They were under 24-hour surveillance in terms of video surveillance. They had to be picked up every day. I mean, there was like a really strict protocol with respect to that in terms of security. And then if you really think about it, you know, the big blue boxes, the post office boxes, there ain't no security with them. So the whole idea that these drop boxes are somehow insecure and and are going to lead to voter fraud or or people stealing votes is really just nonsensical. All right. And we're going to talk to Representative Wynn about that in just just a bit. I want to get to some other voting measures that are interesting. Senator Kelly Leffler, former senator, she released Greater Georgia, which is her voting initiative, which was interesting. I mean, she wants to come back on the scene and she put it out there. Do you feel like your voice was heard in the 2020 election? Do you feel like your vote was secure? As conservatives, do you believe we've done everything we can do to engage more of our fellow citizens in our movement? If your answer is no, something is wrong. I'm here to fix that. My name is Kelly Leffler. So, with respect to this entity, this is something called a 501c4. And really, it is just a vehicle to be able to pump money into the system to support the candidates that you want to support. And so, you know, she necessarily had to set something up, but it is kind of funny that she rolls this out saying she wants to register more people, register more Republicans 
have more people get involved in the process and vote while at the same time we see what they're doing under the gold dome. My favorite part of the whole thing, and this was outed by our friend and friend of the show, Charles Bethay from The New Yorker, when they launched the campaign and there was a photo on the website of all these people in front of the gold dome at the Georgia Capitol, it looked like a protest. And it was a photo from a mom's demand rally. (laughs) I mean, look, Uh, this gal's got a lot of money. She's like a billionaire. And they couldn't even get that right. I mean, it was so awesome. And I believe someone he knew pointed it out to him, but still amazing how day one of your launch. And it was also amazing to me how she gave her first interview to the AJC after she trashed their coverage on her last day of the Senate. She made sure to trash the AJC's coverage of her. On the Senate floor. Unbelievable. So then there's that. Then you have Purdue who announced he is not going to run for Senate again. And and all those women in that commercial are very, very sad. You know what? I just need to hear that again. I really just like David. He's a good person. And he's concerned about our veterans, our military. David Perdue has done exactly what he said he would do. David Perdue is a man of his word. I'm going to miss this commercial. I love it. Yeah, I'm not. (laughs) I really am not going to miss that commercial. Uh, So I think he's not running because lazy. I think Warnock is 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 pretty popular so far. And I don't think he's going to be able to just roll in in his bus and wave at people and then get back in the bus and not talk to people like or not show up for debates and stuff like that. Well, I think it's kind of hard to make the argument that somehow you're going to be able to beat Warnock when you weren't able to beat the now U.S. Senator Ossoff, who he would always deride as young and someone without experience. And we know that Warnock actually outperformed Ossoff, Ossoff who beat Purdue. Right. So it's kind of one of those things where, look, I think that the former senator has a pretty nice life on Sea Island. Maybe he should enjoy his retirement. I think it's fine. Good good for him. Take a rest. Good for him. And I love how he can so I prayed on it. I consulted with my wife. Okay. Okay. I, I like how you, because uh, it was just a written statement, but I this is like Southern your accent. dramatic interpretation <laughs> of the Purdue press release. I love, you know, I love when people publicly say they prayed on it and all of that. I don't want to take away from people who are passionate about their faith, but it, when it's used to sort of politicize things. Well, when it's performative. I'm That's not saying, right. I'm not saying that that, that what Purdue <laughs> said in the statement was performative. But there is a little bit of performative, uh, you know, we Christianity have, out there. Th- there is. Okay, so a couple of things that I also want to get to with you. I mean, there's just so much. So Warnock now is part of a, a, a big committee he was just appointed to, which is a big deal. I saw you tweeting about this. Yeah, so he has been named the chair of a subcommittee that has jurisdiction over um, basically consumer laws dealing with lending. So if you think about payday lending and, and, um, and something called usury, this is the word of the day. So usury is illegal. It's criminal in the state of Georgia. And and throughout the country. And it's when you charge too high of an interest rate. And so you're not supposed to do that. So that's kind of like payday lending and unfair lending practices. It's a huge big deal in terms of economic justice. And I am super stoked because it's an area that a lot of people don't think about and think about the importance. But it's probably one of the areas that affects people the most, especially in the state of Georgia. Is he ready for that? Like, does he have the experience for that? I think you just have to be smart. And I think you have to want to do the right thing. And I absolutely think that he's ready for it. Okay. Then also, uh, Senator Ossoff uh, passed his first piece of legislation, which honors uh, Congressman John Lewis, which is very exciting for his achievements for civil rights, which is, I mean, that what a moment for him and his family. Well, it's kind of a full circle moment yeah. for John. I mean, look, Congressman Lewis really got behind him, got behind him in his first race for Congress and um, has been by his side all the way. And it's probably one of the biggest reasons he's in the U.S. Senate now. 
Well, and we do want to mention that uh, for Vernon Jordan passed away, which is certainly very sad. Well, yeah, and he was a titan. Like, I don't think people understand in terms of from, even from a lawyer's perspective, like he was on the case that challenged UGA's admissions policies. He actually walked Charlene hunter into school that day. And so we see all the pictures, you know, well, he he's the one that's standing by her side. So he has been really a civil rights giant and leader for so long and was originally born in Atlanta. And it, it's really, it, it is a super big loss. Very, very sad. Okay. The next thing I want to ask about is this DA investigation with the president. And we are all waiting to see what is going to happen there? Is this anything? I don't know. I mean, like... Fonnie Willis. Grand juries are like super secret. New district attorney, a grand jury. Walk me through what this means. Like how what the, the steps. So basically you convene a grand jury and this is very simplistic, but it's a secret process. It's supposed to be secret. Okay. And the whole point is that, A, when you are talking about charging somebody with a crime. Like, this is before you even get to the point where you think there's enough evidence. Okay. You're presenting the evidence to see if if you get to that that bar, okay. right? So that's why you want to keep it secret because, okay. I mean, you know, if, if there's not enough evidence, it's pretty devastating for people, right? Okay. And that's the whole thing also with the identity of people on the grand jury, too. Okay. You don't want people tampering with the grand jury, anything like that, before there is an indictment or a criminal charge that that comes out of it. And so it's a super secret process. Obviously, this one isn't in terms of we know it's happening, but the prosecutors will present their case and present, it's almost like a just their presentation, right? The issues with it is that obviously the grand jury doesn't hear anything on the other side. But this really is just the first step to say that the district attorney, the prosecutor, has enough evidence um, to at least go forward with the case. But is the grand jury, in a, in a sense, Jen, are they a little bit tainted because of all the news that's been going on? So where there could be partisan feelings being a juror? You know, since this is against the former president, as far as him tampering with the election and everything that he did, I... You know, I, I, how, how does how does that work? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, look, if you have had to have been basically in a coma or dead, <laughs> not right, right, to have been influenced or impacted in any way by the former president. I mean, he was everywhere in terms of social media, media, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, even if you were somebody who was apolitical, you would obviously be impacted. So that's what's hard for these cases. And even what's going to be hard for like Tish James or uh -huh. some of these other district attorney generals in these other states that are looking at prosecutions, they're going to be really hard because of, of the political, because people, you're always going to have people in terms of a jury or a jury pool who are going to think that it's a strictly partisan thing and it's a political witch hunt. And it's going to be really, really difficult to, to get any criminal case over the line, I think. So it seems like she knows that she's got her work cut out for her, that this is a gamble. Yes? Yeah, but I think, I mean, that's what's always hard, I think, in these situations where you don't know how it's going to come out. Like, you can look at the evidence and say, oh, man, I mean, <laughs> we got the dude on tape, right? Right, like, right. How, how much better does it get? Okay. Right? But at the end of the day, in Georgia, you have to have a unanimous jury verdict, it's, period, in civil, but definitely in criminal, right? So... You know, you get one person who thinks that this may be politically motivated or or may not like Democrats or may like Trump or whatever, and they can basically hang the whole thing. I say. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a real political gamble on the DA's part. But sometimes you just have to say, you know, when somebody's broken the law and you know they've broken the law and you are charged with making sure the laws are enforced. You just got to do your job and kind of move forward. Okay. So while we're talking about DAs and AGs, 
Uh, you mentioned Tish James. Uh, so let's get into a little bit about Governor Andrew Cuomo and what he's been dealing with over the past couple of weeks. It's all come to light that he covered up a lot of nursing home deaths in the state, which I've been following very closely because, you know, I love blonde Republicans. Yes, we do. (laughs) I follow Janice Dean from Fox News, who is their meteorologist. But Janice has been very outspoken about this because she lost her in-laws, her mother and father-in-law in a nursing home and has been exposing this on her Twitter And it's largely been ignored by mainstream media. Of course, there's so much noise with the election and with COVID in general. But now we have these uh, sexual uh, harassment allegations. And so if you're the attorney general in New York and she wants an independent investigation, how's that going to go? So she's bringing in a private law firm to basically do kind of an analysis. And what they'll do is they'll bring all the witnesses in one by one, they'll question them, they'll try to corroborate uh, various allegations. You know, I, I think on social media, we saw a picture of of Cuomo cupping this young girl's face, you know, in a bar or some kind of social situation. So anything that's evidence that can corroborate what the women are saying in terms of the harassment, who did they tell? Did they tell anybody else? Those kind of things. And then they'll probably put together their findings and hand it over to her to make a determination as to what? I'm not sure. It's really this culture that we're in with all this is so murky to me because, you know, you've got a lot of people on the right and rightly so outcrying that Cuomo hasn't been a great guy when it comes to, you know, sexual harassment, but yet they turn a blind eye, uh, obviously, to our former president who had over a dozen credible harassment and rape allegations. So they turned a blind eye to that and his handling of COVID as well, which is not great. I'm not blaming him for all the deaths, but certainly the messaging in the beginning was not great. So it's, it's, and then, you know, my new favorite thing to show hypocrisy is this Madison Cawthorn from North Carolina, who is another Marjorie Taylor Greene, basically. So, you know, where, where, where do we all come down on this? Look, I think what we have to do is we all have to kind of center ourselves in terms of what, what are our values, right? And and being against sexual harassment and being against rape. I know. <laughs> and, and the exploitation of women should not be a partisan thing. And how you feel about that should not change based on who the allegation is being made about. So whether it's Cawthorn or Cuomo in my book, it's like uh-uh, across the board. And I saw um, a conservative writer put out on social media, you know, that Democrats are are having a hard time on messaging on this because, you know, there's this backlash from the Al Franken incident where a lot of Democrats, not me particularly, but a lot of Democrats felt that um, he was unfairly maligned because he, he made some crass jokes and then he was basically pushed out of the U.S. Senate. He made that decision at the end of the day. Nobody else made that decision. To resign. To resign. Yes. For him. And I think that if we espouse the values that we value women and girls and we want to empower them and that this kind of situation is inappropriate and will not be, we're not going to put up with it, then like I said, it doesn't matter if you got a D or an R after your name you got to go. I totally agree with you. Although I think uh, Al Franken was completely railroaded and it was a terrible situation. I, I, you know, you're right. He stepped down. But I think, again, when you've got like a president who pays off porn stars and cheats on his wife and did all kinds of gross stuff, I'm not saying that one's grosser than the other, but I just, you know, it it made me very upset with Al Franken because I felt, uh, you know, I, I, I just, well, it felt stupid. It it, it, it did. So we're, we're going to have to wait and see because this is obviously something we're going to be talking about for a, lo- a long time. But I do want to mention Janice Dean. I think she's been really, really great and, and brave and, and outspoken. And Well, and what she's exposing in terms of New York to kind of go, 
you know, to kind of spring off the the sex stuff is that, and I think we're going to see this in a lot of states. Agree. Is that the deaths that yep. happened in these long-term care facilities and these nursing homes, I think a lot of that's been covered up. There have been allegations coming out of Florida. I think at the end of the day, once we're through COVID and there's we're able to have a thorough investigation and vetting, I think there are going to be a lot of states that have the Cuomo problem and and somebody's going to have to be held accountable for agree, it. Agree, agree. And I will say that um, as far as like, you know, Chris Cuomo having his brother Andrew on the show in the beginning of COVID and then him taking the stand like, I'm not going to talk about it anymore is a real cop out. Well, I think, look, when he brought his brother onto the show during COVID and it was funny and I appreciated it at the time, you know, um, and enjoyed kind of the banter. But obviously it was intended to support his brother uh, politically, publicly. And if you're going to do that when things are good or when somebody's reputation is good and you're just trying to kind of amplify them, then if you're a journalist, when there's a story and things are bad, you know, you have an obligation to do do the work. Right. And so there's a lot of criticism of that. And, you know, look, he is sort of an opinion show and we see it on the other side. I mean, look, Sean Hannity, how many times did he have the president on? And same with Lou Dobbs. Too many. <laughs> I mean, you know. I, you know, and then we, we, meanwhile, we haven't even talked about CPAC, which to me was just the, the president's speech at CPAC was like the wettest fart ever. It was like, there's, it, no, it, it's true. It was like, there was all this hype that he was going to come back and the dear leader was going to come back and he just gave his greatest hits. And, and people were talking about Jodie Foster's dog and uh, her- Right, from the Golden Globes. From the Golden Globes and, and, and Jodie Foster kissing her wife and the dog in between them. So, I mean, this is just goes to show you that I think, you know, back to the election stuff, and we're going to get to be in a second- it is a slippery slope right now because, yes, the former president has a lot of influence, but is that fading? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it is astounding to me just how significant his Twitter account and his platform on Twitter really was because taking away, which was effectively a bullhorn to millions of people and Man, was it a bullhorn because it felt like he was yelling at us every single day. Taking that away from him has been pretty effective in terms of of him kind of receding in <laughs> to the shadows of history. Meanwhile, his media comms team has done such a terrible job. Like I could turn that around. Yeah, but they they didn't do a good job when uh, he was like in the well, White right. House. I mean, so. it's just like look. He could put out a taped statement or a press release like every day. He could still be doing stuff. And I don't understand when he granted his first interviews to Fox News or Newsmax or, or whoever. You know, you're on the phone. What is this, 1985? Like you you can have a whole camera set up in your home. Yeah, but you got to remember that he controls everything. He He is his own media person because he doesn't think anybody else can do it better than him. Right. He likes to get on the phone. It's almost manic in some ways how he how he kind of rolls. Right. Um, He he just sits there and I'm I'm sure you've seen it on any number of shows through the years. He'll literally just get on the phone and start rambling and saying stuff that you're like, if you're a PR person or a press secretary, you're like, (laughs) stop talking. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, that's part of the reason why people loved him. But will they continue to love him? Uh, We're going to have to wait and see. All right, let's talk about voting. B. Wynn is a member of the Georgia House of Representatives representing District 89, and she assumed office in 2017. She's a Vietnamese-American elected to the legislature, taking over a House seat held by former gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, And B has been an outspoken advocate for voting rights and especially for racial minorities and immigrants, uh, long targeted by Republican voter suppression tactics, which is why it is extremely relevant. We have her on the Voter Podcast today. Uh, Representative Wynn, good to talk to you. Good to talk to y'all. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, it's particularly important. So this week, what came out of the House was House Bill 531, which has been considered the omnibus 
voting bill that was filed and pushed through by uh, Barry Fleming from the Augusta area, Columbia County. And so, man, how has it been? How was it on the floor when y'all were dealing with this bill? Well, you know, it's been incredibly stressful. As you might know, Senator, we've been anticipating that this was going to happen ahead of session. And quite frankly, I think that this was a very deliberate, you know, campaign and strategy that was planted well ahead of the June primary, as well as the November election, because Republicans understood that they may uh, lose elections, and they did lose elections. So they have been working on this for a while. And I knew that part of the strategy that they had was to sow those seeds of doubts around absentee voting early, early and often so that they could justify passing something like this uh, when we reconvene for legislative session. So it's been, you know, a stressful haul over the last few years of, you know, being on governmental affairs and dealing with elections. But also I knew this year would be even worse than the years before. So what's interesting is that so you are on the Governmental Affairs Committee, which normally has jurisdiction over all voting bills um, that come through the House. And so you have been a bulldog on that committee and have done just a, a crazy, crazy good job in terms of questioning and really pushing back on a lot of the stuff that was said. So that's why I find it so fascinating that as we go into this session and we know there are going to be all these voting bills and crazy omnibus bills to completely, you know, uh, redo the system, that there's like this whole new committee that just gets created and go figure, you aren't on it. Right. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that is one of the things that, you know, the public won't understand in the same way that we as lawmakers understand. And I was talking to Representative Shannon last year, right after the Sham Giuliani hearings. And she said, you know, there's no way they're going to let us deal with election bills next year because uh, Representative Shannon, Representative Oliver, and I, as well as when uh, Leader Trammell was with us, we were fighting every step of the way against these bills. Um, We had really great synergy and Republicans knew that. They knew that if we continue to fight against election bills, they would be put in a really tough spot. And so this new committee only took one of our members who was dealing with elections, Representative Rhonda Bernal. And I'm so glad that she was on that committee because she's really stepped up in terms of pushing back on these bills. But of the Democratic members, only one of us made it onto the special elections committee. Um, And then a number of the Republicans who were on governmental affairs and had been dealing with electional laws, they were placed on the special committee as well. Yeah, it's kind of a tricky way to do it where it basically undercuts Democrats and also the voices that have been fighting against these bills historically in the House and who have the experience. Not to say that the Democrats that were put on that committee aren't great, but it really does help to have kind of the experience, right? Dealing with it and, and also dealing with uh, with uh, Chairman Fleming as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, so, you know, we have some really good Democrats on the Special Elections Committee, but they had to start from the beginning and learn all of these election laws and figure out what's been going on the past few legislative sessions. Um, they were absent from those sham hearings that took place last year. And election laws are complicated. They're hard. They change a lot. Um, not only just state law, but also um, policies that are put forth by either the Secretary of State or the State Election Board. And it's a lot to learn, especially when we had to make so many changes uh, because of the pandemic. Um, And so they had to start over again and learn how this committee worked and get up to speed on um, election laws in Georgia. I have questions from people who are just watching this go down. And Everybody wants to know what they can do. How can they change it? What What do we do moving forward? <laughs> we get that question all the time, not as it pertains to voting, but as it pertains to a lot of legislation that we've seen in the state of Georgia. It is really, really, really tough 
to be a member of the minority party. And it is really tough to be a Georgia voter who identifies as a Democrat and see, you know, not expand Medicaid, pass a six-week unconstitutional abortion ban. And the messaging I have is always the same for voters, is that we have to continue to make it known that these are not policies that we support, even if Republicans are going to vote the way in which they do. I can speak for myself on this, and maybe Senator can weigh in as well, but you know, we don't like to be on the wrong side of voters. So on issues, on any issues, if we are getting a lot of feedback, a lot of calls, a lot of emails, it is very stressful. Even when the Giuliani hearings were taking place, we got thousands and thousands of emails from Stop the Steal people. And it was really stressful to have to get all of those emails. Although I will say a lot of them did not come from the state of Georgia. But you have to keep the pressure on, both from the standpoint of reaching out to electeds, both from the advocacy standpoint of protesters who were outside our Capitol from 5.31 a.m. to 5.31 p.m. Those are things that uh, make lawmakers reflect on the fact that maybe they are not actually supporting something that is that great. And then obviously litigation. And then supporting state-level candidates. We have to flip the Georgia House. It's not enough to have the presidency and the two U.S. Senate seats. We need to win those down-ballot races. And when Republicans are putting a million dollars to get rid of our minority leader last year, that is really hard to overcome. So we have to invest financially in those races, and we have to do it early and we have to continue to mobilize those grassroots efforts in terms of knocking on doors and reaching out to voters. Yeah, and I think that was an underreported story last year um, in terms of Bob Trammell. So Bob Trammell was the minority leader in the Georgia House. He was the one who basically took over Abrams' position after she left to run for governor. So, you know, he was leader Trammell or whatever. And the national Republicans targeted him in his district and spent, and it's a rural district, and spent a million dollars to beat him. I mean, even had like the, you know, the vice president and the president kind of do photo ops with his opponent. I mean, it was really over the top. And and there was another race in Gwinnett, a chairman, a Republican chairman, where I believe it was half a million dollars for his race. And that's just what we know. I mean, we're not talking about the independent expenditures, the various PACs, the various national or dark money that came in. I mean, there was so much money that was spent on on really helping Republicans just retain their seats in these down-ballot races. And it it makes a difference, unfortunately. It absolutely does. I, I wonder what's going to happen moving forward. Okay, so as you mentioned, lawsuits, activism, but what are the steps that are going to be taken? Now, we've seen some of these ads that are being run by Fair Fight on television as far as like, keep, you know, the momentum's going. Um, do you think the momentum is, is, is here to stay for 2022? Georgians of both parties have voted by mail for decades. Almost half a million Georgia Republicans did it just last year. The GOP knows voting by mail works. It was their idea. It's how Republicans won Florida. Now these same politicians who pass these laws want to make voting harder. That means longer lines, higher taxes, more identity theft for seniors, harder for you. Tell Georgia politicians, don't mess with our voting laws. Fair Fight Action is responsible for the content of this advertising. Oh, I absolutely do. And actually, I'm glad you brought up the Fair Fight ads because... They're obviously working. When we were debating the bill yesterday, I can't tell you the number of times that Republicans brought up the fair fight ads because it was a really good ad. And Georgia voters are going to respond to something like that because it tells the truth about voting in Georgia. And so they are afraid. And so much of you know what they were talking about yesterday um, really indicated to me that they are afraid of Stacey Abrams, which we've known all along, but they are terrified that she is going to win next year, which is not that far away. No, it's not. It's not far away at all. But it just, I keep going back to, I mean, when you're this transparent about the fact that you think that if people vote that you lose then maybe you need to change your messaging, your values, what you care about, what you're pushing. I mean, when you actually have to actively pass laws to keep people from voting just so you can retain power, that's, you know, I don't know. 
And they should uh, maybe get some better candidates too. Well, that would help for sure. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit, uh, being Vietnamese American. And I believe I reached out to you personally over this because I heard from friends uh, when you got sworn in, you were representing Vietnam with what you were wearing. And you heard from a lot of people about that. Can you talk more about what that moment was like? So I'm the first Vietnamese American to be elected in Georgia General Assembly. And, you know, I think that I'm obviously very proud of that. But you know, I think that representation is incredibly important. For a couple of legislative sessions, I was the only Asian American woman, period, out of 236 elected officials. And that is a lonely spot to be because there's so much pressure in terms of having to represent every single Asian American in the state of Georgia, which is a really, really diverse constituency, along with representing my own district of over 50,000 people. Um, So I'm very happy to say that we have now Senator Michelle Au, who's just been amazing this legislative session. And now there are- She's been incredible, by the way. Incredible. I love her. And, And now there are six AAPI elected officials. But You know, I wore the traditional gown earlier this year when we got sworn in because on January 6th, um, when, you know, domestic terrorists tried to overthrow our government, one of the flags being flown was the South Vietnamese flag. And, you know, when I'm looking at um, stories about this in the media and some of the photos shown, it was the Confederate flag, a flag, you know, the Donald Trump flags, and then the South Vietnamese flag. And for many people, they didn't actually know what that flag was. And it was actually misclassified as a hate group flag. But it is a group of South Vietnamese refugees who are now living in this country who have been duped by the president and his lies. Their media is full of right-wing conspiracy theorists. They don't listen to traditional media. And so all of these news sources and stories that are get, they're getting are YouTube videos that have been translated into Vietnamese. And the right wing has done an incredible job of preying on their fears, which is a fear of communism because of what they escape. And so aligning any kind, you know, the messaging of social <laughs> radicals, um, that is going to um, trigger fears. And then the second thing is their intense, intense hatred of China. And the lies that uh, the right wing has created around, you know, Democrats and their relationship with China. And so it's a lot of things that are related to their home country. And it is something that is not really talked about in mainstream media. And it is hard for us to understand why those people would be there at the Capitol. But there are lots of Vietnamese people um, in our country and in our state who were horrified, who were horrified, including me. And when I saw that flag, I thought, you know, I'm going to show up and get sworn in in this traditional Vietnamese gown. It's called an Yai, which literally means long dress. And my mom had it made for me um, to show people that I do not stand for that. And to use the flag in that way is not representative of um, so many uh, Vietnamese people who live in this country, including myself. You know, this is fascinating because a lot of what you're talking about in terms of, of, of immigrants in this country, people who are now citizens, but, but who came from, you know, who, who came from countries that were communist or socialist and were really fleeing. I mean, you're, you're correct. Uh, the former president has really been able to take advantage of that. And I think we saw that with a lot of communities in South Florida you know, in terms of invoking communism and and radical socialism, and and that's what Democrats are. And so it's something that we really need to be aware of, because while we think it's just kind of a messaging point, really, for people who have have fleed these countries, it means something incredibly different to them. Yeah, and that's also why representation is incredibly important. So if you have a party that doesn't have people who understand those nuances and doesn't have the cultural or language to push back against what is happening, you're going to lose those voters. And we have lost Vietnamese voters. And that's why we've made such a big push um, in Georgia to do canvassing in language, to translate lit, to phone bank in language. And it is really hard because 
Asian Americans don't make up enough of the population for political parties or candidates to feel like they can swing or influence an election. That obviously changed in November when we saw the AAPI, uh, you know, increasing in terms of voter turnout and that they were significant in building this broad-based coalition in the state of Georgia. But that was also a very you know, brief trend in which everybody was focused on that in November. And by the time January rolled around, it was, you know, the narrative had changed because media, they are the ones who create the narratives. And so it can't just be one moment, one election. It's got to be the consistent work in every single election cycle and meeting voters where they're at. And if we don't do that as a Democratic Party, we are going to lose voters. But I will say we are winning in terms of the younger generation who don't need the same kind of in-language outreach. I think, you know, I looked at some numbers for young AAPI voters, and they're about 80% Democratic voters. And and that is a big number. And for those that are listening that don't know what AAPI means, what does that stand for, B? It's Asian American Pacific Islander. And it, it is, you know, it's kind of crazy that we're grouped in in one big lump term because we don't even speak the same languages. And there are so many differences on how people migrated to the United States and Asian American history is not told at all. And if we take the time to learn Asian American history, and I think both within the community and with and outside of the community, we will know that the treatment of Asian Americans in this country has been brutal. Well, we are so appreciative of your work. I mean, you have been just such an activist and you seem to break everything down in a clear way. And and look, you had such big shoes to fill. I mean, replacing Stacey Abrams. I mean, that's a, a huge deal. And man, uh, B, you have made your mark. And I expect big things to come from you. Keep this fight going. We need that fire, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey Abrams is my street cred. Like, I think, Senator, you probably know this, but most of the time people are like, oh, you're a state rep. What does that even mean? Or you're a state senator. What does that even mean? And then I said, oh, well, I haven't seen Stacey Abrams have before she ran for governor. And that's my street cred. But I will say there's something really special about the class that came in the year that I came in. Senator Jen Jordan's part of it, as well as Um, my congresswoman, Nakima Williams. And and I mean, I think that class has just been remarkable in terms of what we've been able to do in a a state like Georgia. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here, B. And, um, you know, keep, keep fighting. All right. I learned a lot. Representative Wynn, she's, she's really full of a lot of great information. I mean, she walks the walk. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of people running for office or politicians or electeds that 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 talk a big, right? But they they actually don't do the work. B does the work and she really represents her district well. She, she does. Okay, and we'll definitely be keeping in touch with her and keeping you abreast of everything that's going on with these bills and voting and and so listen, don't uh, let's listen to B. Let's not stop our activism because you can't be quiet. You got to be loud. Yeah, you got to show up. I mean, and I don't think it's just one thing. It's not sending an email, it's not a call, it's not this, it's not that. It's all of it because that's the only way we're actually going to breakthrough. Okay. So on those lines, one thing we didn't mention earlier, and and you'll see where this leads, Kelly Leffler sold her NBA team, which is great, finally. Renee Montgomery, former dream player, is one of the owners in that. So that's kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's not really much else to say, right? I know, know? know, right. But her really good friend, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, when she wasn't taking pictures with, you know, militias and, you know, all the, you know, unsavory folks. Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, which is, you know, obviously Georgia 14, we talk about it a lot. Unlike Representative Wynn, uh, you don't see uh, Representative Green doing a whole lot, but she now has a challenger. Marcus Flowers is going to be running for Congress in Georgia 14. And uh, this is exciting news for, for that. Take a listen to Marcus Flowers. I'm Marcus Flowers, and I've spent my life serving this country in combat zones across the world. But I never thought I'd see one here in the United States. Hugh is a patriot. We know that for sure. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene's America. Marjorie Taylor Greene expressed support for executing Democratic members of Congress. 
Taylor Green said that a plane did not hit the Pentagon on 9-11. Her twisted conspiracy theories may have made her famous, but they haven't done a damn thing to help the people here in our district. Now I'm running for Congress because Georgians deserve better. Better health care, COVID relief, and real representation. My childhood wasn't easy. When I was 11, I moved into a children's home because my parents couldn't support me. So I learned to deal with bullies at an early age. At 18, after graduating high school, I joined the Army. My first overseas deployment was at an intelligence listening post in Central Europe on the doorstep of communism. I spent a decade in combat zones in Iraq and Afghanistan as a contractor for the Department of Defense and held top secret security clearance. I witnessed firsthand the damage done by extremism, radicalism, and disinformation. And I won't stand by while people in Washington take us down the same path. The Army Corps values teach honor, personal courage, and selfless service. That's what I'll bring to Congress. I hope you'll join me on my next mission. Fun fact, Marcus Flowers, big fan of the Vote Her podcast. That's right. Hey, Marcus. <laughs> and we're going to have him on as a guest. We're going to let this marinate for a little while. Yeah, I think it's great that he's running. There, I think there are going to be a number of Democrats that jump into this, but he really is the first who's gotten people's attention. And matter of fact, I have like Twitter follower Envy. Since he announced, he's up to like 40,000 followers. You love this. Oh my gosh. You're so into it. It just, I was just like, (laughs) I can't even believe it. Like, this is crazy. And he's got a great hashtag. He's send Congress flowers and then he's telling you to donate. Very, very smart messaging. All right. So Marcus, you're on blast. As the kids would say, we're going to have you on the show soon. It's exciting. It's it's be interesting. Okay. In other news, wanted to talk about a little bit about cancel culture because a couple of the Dr. Seuss books are being canceled. Did you read about this, Jen? Yeah, and I haven't really gotten down into it. Okay, so basically they're ceasing six books because of some racist imagery and anti-Semitic imagery. And, you know, we're hearing so much about cancel culture, cancel culture. And it's just like, you know, it's it's just, it's the lines are so confusing. Well, look, cancel culture is, is kind of being used anytime folks are held accountable, right, in a lot of instances, or... Really, cancel culture is really more kind of, it used to be called the marketplace by Republicans. Right. You know, the whole idea that, look, if I don't like something or I don't like something you're putting out there and you have a product, then I can choose not to buy that product. So it never really was cancel culture before as much as it was, it's a marketplace kind of decision and no one has to buy a product for someone that they don't agree with. And so I think that this whole cancel thing has become a little bit too in vogue in terms of Republicans using that um, because they sure seem to have forgotten the Dixie Chicks, the Chicks, and also Colin Kaepernick. Right. So as far as the Dr. Seuss goes, I understand what the estate is trying to do. They're saying, you know what? We don't want this. We don't want to, we want to preserve this in history because it is what it is, but we don't want to keep reproducing this. And so that's, and that's that's their decision, right? It totally is. I mean, we've seen some families do that where maybe they have a figure historically that now they don't agree with and and they're trying to kind of make amends in some way. So you listen to, I mean, we think about, you know, the Dixie Chicks and now the Chicks. The Chicks. What they said, and you can listen to it here. I thought I'd say something brand new and just say, just so you know, we're ashamed the president of the United States is from Texas. People were burning their CDs. They got banned from every radio station. This was at the time when the invasion of Iraq and people were calling French fries freedom fries because France didn't want to be involved in this. Remember, people were dumping out their wine, their French wine. Listen, it was, and, and, you know, I'm not, I don't know specifically, but I think it was probably pretty devastating for them from a financial viewpoint to perspective. Um, I mean, people really went after them. 
So I think the thing is, when you do, there, there's kind of a difference in terms of historical, right, okay. folks, right? right, in trying to know better and do better right. now. Right. I think in terms of of where we are today, I think that the reason Republicans have such a thing with cancel culture now is because they're actually the ones that are being canceled. Yes. Whereas before, they used to be the ones that were canceling other people. That's right. And so now that the shoe is on the other foot and the marketplace is working against them, all of a sudden they have a really big issue with but it. But is it working against them? Because if I'm someone like uh, Josh Hawley or Ted oh. Cruz, okay, you're able to get your book deal. Okay. So the, you know, Simon and Schuster or whoever it was, I don't remember, didn't want to publish you, but you, you got picked up immediately. People are still going to buy your book. You're still getting booked as a guest on shows. You could still put out a podcast. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm addicted to podcasts. If you look at the top 20, it's mostly conservative talk hosts that well, appear that's just there. It. They use these grudges, right? to actually power their messaging. And they're they're really just whining. That's all they're doing. And so, but but so when that happens to them, then they take that and use that as messaging and amplify that to try to act like we're trying to to keep them from talking. There ain't no way we can keep them from talking. I mean, I just, <laughs> the way I look at it is, I just don't listen to it. Well, I do because I love the minutia of it and I love the chicks. And I have been saying repeatedly, if you're going to take this messaging then you need to apologize to them because it wasn't like they put out a press release. They said something at a concert, got on Drudge Report, and they attached themselves to it. Well, I think that to kind of close the show out in the most appropriate way, we should listen to a little bit of the chicks. <laughs> so listen, I'm not ready to make nice. Please don't sue us, chicks. We're defending you. We want to thank... Christina Larger, who edits our show every time and does such a great job. Before we go, Jen, did you want to announce anything here today? Uh, no. Okay. All right. We want to thank everybody for listening. Follow Jen, at Senator Jen. She really wants those Twitter followers. I, I know. It's so ridiculous. So can you please get on it and get your friends to follow her? You can follow me. I like followers, too. I'm not as obsessed with <laughs> You know. uh, it's close. It's close. Follow me at Merritt Davis. You can always reach out to us at voterpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>